0: You're listening to the Assistance Together podcast. Alice, it's so great to have you here today. Thank you so much for being my guest.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm glad we've managed to um, finally get round to, to doing it.
0: I know, I know. I feel like it's my fault. It's taken ages because I, I, um, I'm terrible at follow up. I <laughs> will so send anything out and then. I'll... <laughs> yeah as well I'm,
1: I'm really bad at circling back on things so um, i think between us we were just yeah we kept
0: missing each other didn't yeah, we? yeah we were stuck in a semicircle weren't we i reckon <laughs> we couldn't get any further but thank you so much for taking the time today i'm henrietta barker a london-based multi-sector recruiter and the host of the assistance together podcast an interview series with industry leaders and assistants who share their knowledge experience and stories with us If you haven't connected with us on social media, then come and say hi. All the links are in the show notes and I'd love to connect with you and hear from you. If you enjoy listening to assistance Together and you're getting value from the episodes, then please do take a moment to rate and review. It helps us reach more people. I also have a new podcast launching soon, so make sure you listen out for more details soon. Let's get on with today's episode. We've been in, in touch, haven't we, for quite some time on LinkedIn. And over the last year, I've really watched your visibility grow for sure. Do you feel that that's, that's the case? Is it me and how I've perceived your presence on LinkedIn, or is it an algorithm thing? <laughs> I feel like.
1: Oh, well, I had this. Yeah someone yesterday because they were talking about how LinkedIn have changed their algorithms or something and I was like you know what that's something I've never actually looked into um I mean I'm not that techie anyway to be fair I'm quite old school um but really I don't know I mean I, I definitely have I definitely feel that my LinkedIn presence has um grown but not through anything I've done particularly differently I don't know if it's just because more people are noticing me now or maybe because I'm doing more things like this you know you you know putting myself out there more um because obviously every time I think whenever you do things like this people then add you on the back of it don't they or start yeah that's right gain a following but yeah I haven't done anything in particular to to do that and when I actually um I've got a few sort of ex-colleagues that have messaged me and said, Oh, you know, you seem to be getting lots of traction, lots of likes on your posts. And, you know, what, what's the trick? And I'm like, I have no idea, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I just I just put th- I put things up that I want to post. Um, you know, I think it's always good to kind of be topical. That obviously keeps you in the in the limelight a little bit, but but yeah, I just post for me really and just hope that if one person sees something I, I post and likes it, then it's a bonus. So
0: My guest this week is Alice Scucci, who I was so pleased to have the chance to speak with because she is incredibly well known to so many people as she's the founder of the CWPA Club. She is an executive assistant who works in financial services And after her maternity leave in 2017, she realized there wasn't a group in Canary Wharf for assistance. For anyone listening outside of London or the UK, Canary Wharf is part of London, where there are a lot of financial organizations, and it's incredibly close to the city as well. Alice launched it, and it quickly went from strength to strength. The CWPA has events, networking, and it is an incredible platform for assistance especially ones in London. Now, you can find details below if you want to get involved. I have been lucky enough to have the chance to speak to some of the members, which was really good fun. I think it's really interesting, though, because I, I one of the things I really love about your posts is that they're very positive. And actually, in a space where negative, and I know from my own posts, right, I've put a couple of posts out where I put some comments about um yeah, you know, job searching and industries, stuff relevant to my industry. And they got so much traction. Yeah. And I understand that, but, you know, we kind of tend to be automatically drawn to the negative rather than the positive. So I'm not going to post anything else negative because I want to have a positive... Attitude. I saw, I saw like. your
1: post today actually about the um, the salaries, wasn't it? And then um, yeah. and that seems to be getting lots of um, you know, because it's a really is a it's a big topic, <laughs> that does yeah. need addressing. So I think sometimes it's good to post things because it draws attention to to the to the big issues, doesn't it?
0: A hundred, because that one, it was just a spare of the moment thing. where I've been looking at some jobs on LinkedIn just to have a look and see what's available to people, what's the market in the, on LinkedIn like, so to speak. And none of the jobs had any salaries, right? (laughs) I was like, okay, well, this is a little bit difficult for people to apply. So I kind of, I know that also people are more cautious about asking for higher salaries. So if you leave it up entirely to a candidate to talk about their salary, then they're actually naturally gonna undervalue themselves. Mm -hmm. And therefore that imbalance for candidates irritated me and I know what that means for companies. It means they're dragging in a lot of people's like data mining really, rather than actually getting people who are interested in the role. So that was a whole big topic, but the only person, there was one person that vehemently disagreed with me. Really? Yeah, really did, but he worked in the recruitment space. So I was like, well, okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's, true, it's, it's hard you know it's hard enough to know how to value yourself or to value a role because like you said as well you know the assistant roles are so different and you know with different companies and, and different industries it, it does vary even the, the the title of the role changes doesn't it so yeah. you know I think um, and like you said recruiters know how much is on offer
0: yeah they do
1: they have to pay so why not just put it on there and and I always think it's negotiable anyway I'd rather it say a salary and it have negotiable next to it, than just you know, leave it all up to me because you know you should already know how much you're worth anyway when you go into it to an interview. But
0: yes, completely. It was just it was just an interesting response. I felt really felt for the people that had actually got all the way to offer and right. then had to find out that they weren't going to get the kind of salary that they need. And no one's doing it for fun, are they? You know, people. It's a contractual agreement. Getting a job, it's not volunteering, and so anyway, I love the fact that yours are positive and I'm gonna steer clear from the more negative. (laughs) Alice is incredibly candid about some of her personal experiences, which have shaped a lot of the decisions that she's made in her life, one of which is making her a passionate advocate for mental health and even becoming a trainer in mental health first aid. I think that when she speaks about her role being made redundant during the pandemic, it's clear how these experiences have encouraged her to build a network of assistants and to build a community where people can reach out to one another in good times and in bad. Enjoy the episode. I like. I'm starting to ask everybody on the podcast how they became a PA because. People assume that people fall into this role. How did you become an assistant? What What was your path to entering into this industry and profession?
1: Yeah, so I am. Um, I'm, I'm going to be the typical kind of, um, yeah, the typical story. I did actually kind of fall into the role, mm-hmm. um, but that was purely because I left school straight away at sixteen. <laughs> um, I didn't go on to uni. <clears throat> or six form or anything. So I was just really keen to get out into the world and you know start earning money. Um, so yeah, I just, um, I applied for loads of jobs, sort of admin roles, entry level kind of um, positions and managed to get a job as a um, receptionist slash production assistant for a local printing firm. And this was in Kent, so um, I hadn't made my way up to London yet. Um, but yes, yeah, so I started work at sort of 16, 17, um, just helping out with kind of you know pretty basic tasks really like printing off. I mean this was before artificial intelligence was around, so I was printing things off and you know writing out expense forms and stapling receipts to to the post and and sending them up to London office. So um so yeah really kind of entry level admin position, um, and it was there really that kind of I suppose I did a lot of my maturing really. Um, they were really supportive of me um, getting involved in, in other sort of tasks, and um, they put me through a, an accountancy course with them, um, which then allowed me to move up to um, our head office supporting the account, accounts team
0: mm-hmm. and the
1: FD, so that was really where the kind of PA work started, I suppose, because I was supporting the FD um, sort of more intimately with with things he had going on, as well as doing like invoicing and, and more sort of financy stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was there for seven years, um, and they really nurtured me, I suppose, as a kind of young girl, Finding her feet, um, and that's really when I knew. Actually, this is I really enjoy this role. I'm good at it, and that's what helps, isn't it? If you know you're good at something, then it's easy to stick at it. Um, <coughs> so yeah, so I was up in the head office, which obviously then opens up your horizons even more when you're in the in the big city. So um, so I stayed there till I was about oh god, I think I was about 21, um, and then started applying for for more sort of PA positions um, and found a role at Citibank and, and again worked my way up through through sort of the ranks there starting as a trade floor assistant and um, just sort of floating around supporting different MDs and then um, ultimately supporting the UK CFO there and um, so yeah I did kind of fall into it but equally I chose to stay if you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I didn't want to find anything else so um, so no I was very lucky I think.
0: Oh I love the fact that you worked as a trade floor assistant I used to recruit for those roles they're they're tough they're really tough that that is a tough job to
1: do yeah I didn't really know what I was getting myself in for to be honest because uh, (laughs) I love the I love the fact that it was Citibank and you know it's big organization obviously I come from like a local I mean it was a financial printing firm so it's still the financial industry but it was a lot smaller I think we had about 40 staff (laughs) so um so obviously going to work at somewhere like City was just like amazing and um and yeah the trade floor I think I thought it was going to be like um I don't know Wolf of Wall Street or <laughs> shouting at shouting at like telly screens and bells going off like yeah. in the ring. um but obviously it's you know it's not like that at all it's just lots and lots of computer screens and and the phone calls now it's not like the old days bye 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 sell 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 no it's still a real real buzz as well I think because you know there's still a lot of you know, big personalities on the trade floor and, and and obviously a lot at stake as well. So you see a lot of that behind the scenes, um, which is quite interesting.
0: Yeah, it's really like time pressured, isn't it? Yeah. You know, people are under so much pressure. I remember going on to my first trading floor and I had exactly the same thought as you. I was like, well, this isn't this isn't what I expected. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was going to be people shouting a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's fun it's really fun and you kind of stayed in the city haven't you city-based yeah
1: so, yeah literally so um worked sort of um so I was sort of near the Gherkin in town and then moved to Canary Wharf um and then now my new role is sort of over in the city but obviously working remotely at the moment but yeah I do I do love it up there and I, I've often thought you know especially when I had kids and stuff do I want to work closer at home because I'm still living out in Kent and then mm. um, and it's just, yeah, it's not for me. I like to have that balance of home, home um, in the country and then um, traveling up to, to work in the city. I love the sort of
0: hustle and bustle and, and I like the rat race, to be honest. Yeah, me too. I get a lot of energy from it. It's, yeah. It doesn't deplete me. It actually has always really energized me.
1: Yeah, I'm the same. I think it's, you know, when you're busy at work as well, I've often said this to my husband because he'll be, he's quite similar to me, but if he's got not a lot of work on, he actually starts sort of letting things slip and I'm the same. If I'm really busy, I'm on it and I, you know, and I really get my head down. If I have a quiet week or, you know, if I take a bit of time off and then come back to work after a long weekend, I really feel that like sluggish sort of, I don't know, it really slows me down
0: yeah i agree and i found definitely in the last year not being able to go into town or town as i call it like into sort of you know central london it has definitely impacted the pace of my life and i I just love that adrenaline of it i don't i still i still get it if i go if i still go and drive into central london i still feel excited
1: yeah exactly the same it does it makes a real difference because you do you bounce off people I think especially in your role as you know as a recruiter as well you know you do you're for the people aren't you so you are literally mm-hmm. you know and I suppose with the PA you work so closely with people that when they're not around it does affect how you perform
0: I know I have to get I've had to get over it have you in the last year <laughs> learn how to do it in a different way
1: yeah to be honest it is nice to be able to step back every now and again isn't it and I don't think you know as much as we don't want to experience this ever again I think it has been nice in a way being forced to to step back and actually you know see the world from a different angle and and um, and realize what matters um because it's not all about you know the daily grind is it so
0: no 100% I think it has if it if you've been lucky to get through it um without losing somebody or you know suffering financial hardship I think we we certainly have been very lucky to have yeah we really enjoyed it well it's certainly the most time I've ever spent with my husband that's for sure and yeah. as a family right we never have been able to spend a whole year <laughs> <out at> home <laughs> together
1: and, and like my son he um he started school um last September so like in the middle of the, of the in the pandemic and then and, and you know I thought actually how would I I don't know how I would have actually juggled everything if I was still going up to London every day whereas yeah. you know it kind of took that that decision out of my hands so I've been able to take him to school every day pick him up every day you know that will change obviously but yeah I'm absolutely I'm just I'm grateful really for for, for having this time and like you said you know I've been lucky as well not to to lose anyone um, yeah. close to me and you know we've all been healthy and and safe um which is obviously not the case for everyone and, and obviously a lot of people lost their jobs but saying that you know I lost my job because of COVID and it led to to sort of bigger and better things so I think there is always always a positive um, spin on things anything even if it is a death you know there's always something positive to come out of of anything that happens to you.
0: Yeah I'm a firm believer in that and it might take a little bit of time to get to the point where you can do that emotionally but I've definitely always had that um side to myself even if it even if I didn't want to if something had happened I would have to, to sort of give myself good talking to and be like yeah you don't want to have something good now
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah oh god yeah it's hard to, to see the positive but um but uh, you yeah, know I just I think even even in, in challenges in life it's sometimes they're put there for a reason aren't they to,
0: to yeah bigger and better things so completely completely agree with you And so you mentioned that you lost your job last year. How was it moving out into the market as people have found it incredibly difficult? How did you find going out into the market to find something else?
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it was, it was, it was, uh, I had mixed emotions really, um, because I'd actually only been in that role for sort of nine months. I had a great relationship with my boss at the time. He was the COO of of Amex um, GBT. Um, And obviously, you know, he, he I found out he was leaving and I was offered another role to stay um but it just wasn't right for me it wasn't the job mm. I took and I thought you know what this could be like I said you know it's trying to see the positive in things you know maybe this is a you know a, a time for me to to move on to something else and um yeah. so yeah I I, I I was I was lucky really because um I was maybe done in the July and I was offered a job in August so you know I feel awful when I speak to people that have been looking for like a year now or, or six months. And that's partly why I've got my little group on LinkedIn where I post jobs because I know how tough it is out there.
0: Yeah. And I do
1: think I had a lucky break. Um, again, I think LinkedIn helped massively, you know, just having that presence so people can find you. Um, I think that helped me a lot because I was already connected with a lot of people that, at, at my current company I didn't even know at the time um, oh, it's right. you, yeah it's only when you look back through connections you think oh well they've obviously been seeing my posts and things you don't know how that's influenced any decisions do you so, oh, that's um, true. so yeah I think it was a mix of a mixture of sort of luck and um and timing as well because they needed someone to start straight away and I obviously was sort of imminently let go um, so no I was um it was strange it was it was a weird time because I was I loved the role I was in Um, but equally I knew how lucky I was to have found something in the middle of a pandemic um, so quickly as well and obviously meeting the team virtually I've not actually met my boss in person yet
0: really still that's so strange
1: no so I mean one of my bosses is in um, Zurich anyway so um, you know we might have met through him traveling here or me traveling there Um, but yeah my other my other sort of leaders in London and um, we've only ever spoke via zoom which is quite yeah it's strange but I, I think you actually get to know people more when you're having these little one-to-one calls. Um, it's
0: interesting I like that. How do, How so?
1: I just think because you because I think I don't know when you're in the office you tend to just um, I don't know I'd go into his office and ask him for something and then I'd go out of the office you know and, and it, was, mm-hmm. it would be very much like a I don't know how to describe it I suppose just um, you know as and when the need fits you'd go and get their attention whereas I think with with now because there is because we are distanced they seem to be making more effort and and you have to make more effort as an assistant to to keep that relationship going so we've got a weekly catch-up now which I don't think we've probably have if we were in the office where we chat and we we look at the week ahead and you know he keeps me informed in in what's going on Um, and I just don't know if that would be the case in the office. Um, but like I said, I'm not sure because I've never actually been to the office. So <laughs> I don't even know how it's set up and, and where I'd be sitting. But um, but yeah, I definitely feel like I've, I've, I've made stronger connections because we are all at home. You have to reach out and make the effort to, to, you know, get to know people.
0: Yeah, I think that's very interesting. I feel like that it's certainly with work relationships in the last year, they've changed. And I like it very, very much because it doesn't mean that it's less professional so to speak it has just a slightly different element maybe of I don't know whether it's a compassion piece that we know people are at home or have been we know it's been difficult and so the relationship dynamic slightly changes not quite as I don't want to say formal because there's all still the, the same rules apply right it's not that it we're like Having a really informal relationship, you am not on the phone and chatting yeah. about that. But there isn't that barrier, I think, in the same way. Maybe it's a sort of, a sort of, I would like maybe like a glossy kind of exterior that we'd all put on for work that isn't quite there anymore in the same way.
1: Absolutely, and there's actually, um, I know we're going to probably we're going to talk about mental health first aid, but they oh. they launched a really good campaign couple of years ago now called My Whole Self and that was all about you know being able to bring your whole self to work and obviously this was when we were all in the office Mm -hmm. and about celebrating who you are as an individual and not having this kind of glossy front or being this you know corporate um, sort of robot at work and but actually living a completely separate double life almost at home with your family and I think that's what's changed now is that you know we've been forced to actually bring our home life to work you know I've had kids in zoom calls with me um, and my dog you know barking when the the door goes the postman arrives um, and you know we've had to accept that haven't we and I think for especially for senior leaders that have have been used to very much keeping their home and work life separate it's been quite um, a kind of wake-up
0: call I suppose really. Yeah Yeah. it's quite interesting because you can't if you've got a corporate, if you've got a very close, if you don't bring your both yourselves to work, so to speak, your home one, yeah. if you haven't integrated it in some way and you've spent a whole career making sure that they're separate, I must be it probably felt quite exposing for some people to be yeah. in that situation.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people have realised as well what, you know, like we said earlier, about it make it's made us all reflect on on what we value and stuff, but I know particularly for my boss, you know, he's been surprised at how productive and, and well he's been able to work from home. Whereas before it was just, you know, the norm that, you know, you had seats in in um, bums in seats in the office and, you know, it was seven till seven and you worked and then you went home. Whereas I think now it's um, it's it's actually that kind of balance that people have been wanting for years.
0: Yeah, I think we talking about that on the radio this morning about hybrid working. So I had to listen obviously because I'm really interested in these things. Yeah. do you think they'll offer that
1: for you and your team? yeah i mean we've had um there's no kind of there's no sort of set in stone um plan yet i mean obviously they, they are working incredibly hard um to 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 sort out a, a kind of return to work strategy but um but I think it's going to be very much employee led to be honest um there's been a lot of surveys that have come out from my company, and I know other assistants have said the same you know, just really asking the employees what they want and how they see their future, um, you know, work life looking like. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be very much down to what the employees decide to do. Um, and I think some companies are going to struggle if, if they don't offer that, to be honest. I know a lot of people that are looking for work, you know, will only now consider flexible um, options um, whereas you've got things, you know, people like Goldman Sachs that have openly said, you know, they're not encouraging working from home. You know, they want staff in the office. So I just don't, I don't know. I think it's going to be a real,
0: a real mix. It's just really rare, rare to hear anyone say that it's going to be employee led. You know, like a really enormous decision about something as fundamental, isn't it? You know, of where people actually work and where they actually do their work. It is a real, um, a mental change in terms of companies viewing their their teams and how they work and how they want to be productive and for that to be employee-led you know for people that have been fighting for flexible working rights yeah it's like oh we're finally getting somewhere and it's taken this to to get us to the point it's
1: taken a global pandemic
0: (laughs) just something small (laughs) something small that changed it so I've got to talk to you about um, the fact that you know you you took your career to this to this place and, and worked in the city, You built a very successful career for yourself, and then two two years ago is that right? Maybe just over two years ago, you launched the CWPA club. Yes. What yes. was what led you to 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 actually start it?
1: So yes, yeah, so it was February two thousand nineteen, and I'd had the idea um, sort of way before that. That was just sort of the launch, the launch date. Um, and really, I suppose it was it was it was built on the foundations of that I'd launched um, a network within Citibank. So while I was at City, and kind of working my way up through through there. Um, I'd created like a, and it all started actually from a, from a coffee. So I'd been on maternity leave, came back after six months off and just felt really kind of disconnected from the corporate world. And, you know, just felt like I needed to kind of speak to other assistants to find out what I'd missed out on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it turned out a lot of the assistants, although we'd email each other all the time and you see each other in the, you know, in the lifts or in the canteen, you'd never actually speak. You didn't actually know each other. And, um, and so we just arranged like a, a meet and greet coffee and it ended up being 80, 85 people coming along, <laughs> know, just city assistants in the office. And my boss at the time actually, you know, put on some drinks for us. And, you know, I said, well, this is obviously something that we we need. Um, and actually, I think the, the MDs realised as well, because if the PAs are friendly, there's more chance they're going to help you, you know, get time in their leader's diaries and, you know, sort of help help you out a little bit whereas if you don't know someone it's a lot more it's a lot difficult to to get you know them to help you out so um Mm -hmm. that's kind of where the idea came from was that I'd set up this network within city um and just obviously I had friends that worked at other banks in Canary Wharf um and I'd sort of told them about it and they were like oh you know we don't have a network in our company sounds really cool you know they should do that where we are and I just said well why don't I just set up one for Canary Wharf because you know it's a a small area it's very kind of you know they're all in close proximity to each other so I thought it can't be hard to arrange you know some drinks or something one night yeah and it just started off as a one-page website it was like put your net you know your email address in if you're interested we'll be doing you know some meet and greet kind of networking sessions um I'll get some speakers along I didn't really know what it was gonna turn out like to be honest it was it was from a selfish point of view really that I wanted to meet new friends and and um you know and bring people together ultimately and um yeah and it just took off i think within the first month of launching we had like 250 people and yeah the word just got got around and um and yeah and here we are today so yeah it's, it's really um it's really taken off and but i think that just shows that there is a need and people do want that connection
0: oh completely and canary wolf's quite interesting isn't it because it is so densely populated yeah. with such enormous businesses and therefore, there are lots of people there. Yeah. But it's very disparate as well, isn't it? Because everybody's travelling in. Not very many people live that close by. So it hasn't, it didn't necessarily have that community feel until you put it in place, which is obviously something people were really, really wanted and needed, that connection.
1: And that's the thing. I mean, obviously, when you work in these big buildings, I don't know if you've been into city or... Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, they've got these big canteens with sort of seven seven kind of different cuisines within them that you, can, yeah, you, know, right. so you really need to leave the building. And I think a lot of people do. You just, you know, there's gyms in there and, you know, you don't really need to leave the office. So um, I think... By starting the the Canoe PA Club um, and working with the local businesses, they were obviously really keen to to work with us because they wanted to show off what Canoe had to offer. And you know, so we'd always the bars would always invite us along for sort of food tastings and things. And I think people just really liked that whole getting to know the area because, like you said, it's there it wasn't really a community there. It was very much you know you worked in your building and that was it, and you went home.
0: Yeah, completely. I know they do they, they design it to keep you in there don't they it's very nice yeah but yeah I remember going to Canary Wharf when I used to recruit in the city I was have been about 20 so god it's like 20 years ago oh I might cut that bit out Alice I might not leave that bit in but <laughs> I remember going there and there weren't that I mean there weren't as many buildings not the same as it is now yeah they were still working on everything around it. We had to go on the DLR to go there for a meeting. Yeah. I've never been in such a big building.
1: <laughs> I know. I mean, the views are amazing. I've been up, like, the uh, One Canada Square a few times and um, because part of the PA club as well. I got to know the Canary Wharf group, the state sort of managers as well. Yeah. Um, so I've been up there a few times. And the views are just incredible. But you can see, like, pictures on the wall of how it looked before and... You know, it is it's amazing how much they've done.
0: Yeah, I miss it actually. I want to go. I want to head up there soon.
1: We can we can arrange a lunch.
0: Oh, that can, we can definitely arrange that. I'll take you out for lunch <laughs> whenever you like. <laughs> whenever you like. So you built this community, and it's evolved and developed over the last couple of years, and you've got a hugely successful events. How has it made you feel to be? part of something that you've created in that way it must I feel like that must be a really lovely feeling that you've brought people together and see people make friendships and and ease the wheels for people a bit in life by having these relationships and connections
1: yeah I've always um I mean I've always said that my purpose is to sort of bring people together and I just I love connecting people if I can or or just in general just helping people I suppose that's why I'm an assistant because I just love to help people and know to do what I can if I've got it you can have it sort of thing and yeah yeah, so I don't I I rarely actually and I should probably do do it more because I do you know you should practice what you preach but um but I do often I, I sit there sometimes and it's only when people say things like that like oh you must be so proud of of how far it's come and I'm like yeah I kind of I never really sit and think I'm just so constantly I'm just always busy planning the next event or you know thinking what else i can do that i actually rarely sit back and think how far i've come you know and how many events i've done and how many members i've got now and and the relationships i've built and and like you said it's that it's the the value you're adding for other people so quite often when we do um uh like a, an away day or we i've taken them to a restaurant i mean so one example was 2000 19 I think it was we went to a hotel in Ware which was sort of out in the sticks but we took I think there was like 10 of us um Canary Wharf assistants went down there had a lovely dinner stayed overnight used the spa facilities and it was just like a fam trip so just getting to know the hotel and and, and seeing what they had to offer in terms of uh, you know team away days and um and I, it was always I, I remember feeling quite guilty that you know oh they're putting all this on for free for us and I feel like I have to guarantee them like booking mm-hmm. things um, and that's just the way that marketing works isn't it there is no guarantees that you're going to get anything from something and um, no. one of the ladies did end, end up booking her like 50th birthday and you know booked out 20 rooms and you know so I like it when things like that happen and another another couple of ladies met at one of my um, sort of like lunch and learn sessions um, and she went on to offer her a job when she went on maternity leave or her cousin got a job as well with her so I, I love it when that when you when I hear stories about how I've actually made you know a difference.
0: That's so nice I imagine that's lovely it is really nice but yeah don't worry about the freebies that's, that's the rules. <laughs> <I think laughs> that I just, great. Um,
1: our speakers as well last week was telling me um she's done a couple of talks with me now and it's always that whole like oh you know I just feel you know I want you to sort of get clients out of this and you know I unfortunately I can't guarantee that but you know if you don't come and talk then it's less chance isn't it of getting that exposure and she told me last week that she'd had like two um two bookings um through my network but so that that really makes it worthwhile for me knowing that I am actually making a difference
0: oh it's so lovely isn't it it is lovely because it is that feeling of just participating in other people's success and that yeah I can totally relate to how fun that feels. Especially for you as a
1: recruiter you probably get that feeling all the time don't you when you place people in a role and you know when they've been looking for a while or whatever it must be such a great feeling.
0: Yeah that's the driver though I think and that's I think that's what's quite interesting about there's definitely some similarities in my role and your role and careers in that it is about helping other people if you approach things from that perspective for me personally that's always been how I viewed it because when I remember when I sat down in a an agency and they were like you have to do all these sales calls and I was like oh my god you know like I just have to do a hundred sales calls a week yeah And I was like, how do I square this with myself? This doesn't feel right. And it was definitely like, okay, well, if this is the job that you do, then you are helping people get where they want to go or helping them solve a problem. So for me, if I can do that and combine both those things in my job, that's why I love it. that's, That's the driver. And it sounds to me very similar to what you're saying. We have like the same drivers.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, very passionate about helping people. And I think, you know, if you can make that your job, then that's,
0: yeah, that's what yeah. everyone's looking for, isn't it? That's the goal, is it? For me, definitely. That's the thing that keeps me going and motivated. I love it. Now, you mentioned to me earlier, and this is something if people are following you on LinkedIn, then they will know that you you are really passionate about talking about mental health and how people can protect it and look after it tell me how you, how you became involved in that
1: yeah so um God yes I mean it started probably when I was 15 um I, I, I was um I had an eating disorder from from 15 so I've, I've had lots of experience with you know counseling and and medication and, and being kind of bounced around the different services um and just always really struggled I suppose with with finding who I am and and I don't know, I've just always, I always felt like I never fit in at school. Um, and just, I don't know, I just found life really tough um, between kind of 15 and, and 21. Um, you know, maybe it was because I went straight into the world of work and I didn't build those relationships that people build at uni or, you know, I don't know what i kind of can, can contribute it to. I mean, I, I grew up in pubs as well. So, you know, my upbringing was slightly different to, to that of my friends. Um, And like I said, you know, we were talking earlier about our siblings and stuff. I've always been quite an independent person. So, you know, fended for myself a lot and didn't really need um, lots of friends. I was always quite, I was always quite happier on my own. And so, yes, I had an eating disorder that led to um, anxiety, depression. um, And when I was 21, I actually had planned to take my own life. Um, And that's obviously when it all came to a head and um, I ended up having to seek, you know, professional help I had to move back home with my parents because at the time I was living in a, a little flat in in town on my own which is when I think I realized actually you do need other people around you um mm. support. and it's okay to be independent and strong but actually you know sometimes you do need help and it, you know you should just you, you do need to ask for it And um, so luckily I did um again off, off of my own back kind of took myself to the doctors and just sort of blurted it out how I'd been feeling um yeah, so that's kind of where it all started. I kind of, I've, I've always been very aware of of my feelings, and and I've been a good reader of other people's feelings as well. So I think like when I do build relationships with people, it's a it's a deep relationship. I don't have many sort of fleeting friendships. Um, I feel like I get to know people on like a deeper level. So I've always been really interested in that kind of psychology side of things. Um, yeah, so when I um, when I kind of I mean I I never say that I'm recovered I'm I'm still in recovery now I I always say that um but I think it was when I felt strong enough to talk about what I'd been through and what I'd experienced I found that that would then help other people
0: and I was like
1: I I like this you know it's, it's hard for me to talk about but by talking about it it's helping someone else and like we said just now you know that's what I thrive on I thrive on helping other people so um so that's really how it all started. I just t- started talking about my story and, you know, being really, really open and honest about what I've been through. Um, and then I heard about mental health first aid. So I was like, oh, this is this is literally all the things I want to do in, in a course. You know, it's it's teaching me the skills to be able to support people that were going through what I've been through. So I did the, um, the mental health first aid course and just loved it so much and just thought this is so, it's such an easy way. to to train people that don't have you know you don't have to be a mental health professional you don't have to be a counsellor or you know a psychologist um it it is for anyone anyone can take the course and it just gives you those you know really kind of key skills in in helping others or just noticing if someone is not feeling great or needs extra support um so yeah so then I decided to train and actually become an instructor um and yeah I just love it
0: that is incredibly brave of you to talk about your experiences. So honestly and candidly, it's very often very painful to look back on times where, um, you know, things have happened in our lives. And I really admire your ability to share that with people and to be able to take that forward and communicate practical ways that other people can participate in caring for others because it's impossible to change circumstances for people but if you can add I imagine to a a sort of you know safety net and somewhere that people can talk or approach you if you can tell what is potentially happening for someone then it makes people aware of how to participate in caring for someone wherever they are at work or family or friends
1: yeah definitely and I think it's just that um even now you know when I when I do when someone asks me and I and I have to look back and think and I'm like god I I almost forget that I I went through all that now because it's like because I've come so far and I'm now helping others and I'm you know I'm hearing other people's stories you kind of forget your own which is good in a way I mean obviously you never lose never lose touch with it because that's part Mm -hmm. of you and you know like you said you can't change things for people but I think I think for, for in terms of supporting others, it's just about listening. People don't want you to fix their problems for them. I mean, they, I'm sure they do, but we can't fix people's problems for them. And I think with the mental health first aid, that's one of the key things it teaches you. It's about, you know, you're not there to, to solve people's problems and give them an answer. Some people just want to be listened to and sat with and, you know, just listened to, to, to what they're going through. And, and talking is the best therapy as well. So... If more people could learn how to listen properly, rather than just listening to reply, and the world would be a much happier place.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's a very interesting distinction. That when, if you you know, sometimes certainly in my own life, I've been communicating something that's happened, and someone tries to jump in to fix it that's too soon you're right it's just you just want to be able to speak about it and for someone to kind of hold some space for you for you to be able to talk about it and find your own way through it
1: yeah definitely there was a there was a video I shared a while back on um LinkedIn actually it was by Brené Brown yeah a TEDx talk she did and she talks about um empathy versus sympathy and it's a really really um great video to watch if if people haven't seen it yet or if you haven't seen it yet you definitely need to watch it it's um it's only sort of three minutes long but it's a lovely illustration um about exactly that just you know you don't have to understand what people are going through or or feel like you have to jump in and solve things for them but just just standing with them and and um and listening is sometimes all that's needed
0: yeah, I have seen that, and I I find her whole take, Brené Brown's whole take on vulnerability, yeah, also blew my mind. <laughs> I was like, amazing. Did you find the same thing? What do you mean? Sorry, it was, sorry that you know that it was just incredible. The distinction, her use of language, I think, in order to describe things that we we can understand and feel, but haven't necessarily been able to verbalize, or 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 work out other people's responses to it or how we respond to things. I find her incredibly easy to listen to and it breaks down things and I go, yes, I understand that. I feel like that, but I didn't have the language for it maybe.
1: And that's, yeah. And do you know what? And that is something that, you know, personally, like as a personal goal, it's something I want to work on because I really find it hard to communicate things that I want to say. And even like with my LinkedIn posts, you know, I post these quotes and things or these images because that's how I feel and that's the message I want to get across. But I rarely actually come up with them on my own, although that's what's in my head, if that makes sense. Um yeah. Yeah, I, do. Yeah, I really love it when I find a speaker or or um, you know, any a trainer or a coach um that really puts things into into those words that are easy to digest. Because I find that I go round the houses otherwise.
0: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <In my laughs> it's just yeah, she's I, I would I'm actually I'll put the um, link in the show notes to that video because I, I think it's, it's a really, really good one for people to watch.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's, it's a simple, it's a simple thing and it's, I like the bit she says about saying at least, you know, when, when someone tells you something painful or, or, you know, difficult, I mean, I know I'm guilty of doing it. Um, I try not to now after seeing the video. Yeah. <laughs> you often go like, oh, well, at least it's not this bad, you know, well, at least that didn't happen and it's like, you you don't need to justify things for people all the time you know sometimes it's about saying actually I know this is really painful for you you know let me know if I can do anything or you know it's not about saying well at least you know it could be worse.
0: Yeah that's yeah that's not always helpful is it when people say that the intention is trying to help but the response internally (laughs) is not that great. I think it's it's fantastic that you're Sharing this with people and and taking it out into the world and raising awareness about it—it's very generous. Oh,
1: thank you. Yeah, and like I said, it was—it's it was only because really that I found it helped me, and it was you know, if it helps me and it helps other people, a bit like you know my post on LinkedIn. If someone, if one person reads it and it makes their day or it, it hit the spot at the right time then that's enough for me. You know, it's not about followers and how many people like my posts. It's if that one person that needs it sees it, then I'm happy.
0: Alice, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing such brilliant aspects of what you've been doing and how you feel about things. It's been so lovely to hear your perspective on your last year and what you've been doing and what you've been bringing to people in your community I think we use the term community quite a lot and i found it interesting how personal the relationships you have with your community are there's definitely i feel like a a distinction there in the way that you speak about it it's very loving attitude towards the people that you're creating things for and spending time with
1: yeah, and I think that's, I think that's just a, it's a mutual respect, isn't it? You know, I put a lot into the club and I, I do try hard at everything I do. And if people reciprocate that, then, you know, they have my full respect. So a lot of the members are friends now, you know, like they'll message me. A lady the other day has just been offered a job and I genuinely was just over the moon for her. Um, and I don't think we've actually even met in person yet. I think she was one that has been following me just this last year. But, you know, the fact that she reached out to fill me, up, fill me in with her good news you know you know then it's a mutual it's a mutual feeling isn't it so
0: yeah but the impact that you're having is is um sometimes goes further than you think I hope so (laughs) sure and what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to reach out
1: yeah, so probably LinkedIn. I mean, that's where you'll find me most, um, most mornings anyway, before I get out of bed, I do my little daily posts. So yeah, LinkedIn is always best. Um, or just through the Knoll PA Club website as well. Um, you know, you can you can fill in this sort of um, subscribe box and you'll start receiving updates um, from me on there. But yeah, LinkedIn's probably the best bet. That's
0: brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time today having me it was great to speak to alice and thank you so much for listening to the podcast today if you enjoyed it please do take a moment to rate and review it it helps us get to more amazing assistants just like you if you don't follow us on social media please do you can follow me it's hen.barker on instagram and everywhere else and also assistance together is on instagram and everywhere else too I hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for listening and for all your support. I will be back next week with another fantastic guest. Take care.